welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. I've got another great interview lined up. Uh, today, we are going to the eastern part of the country. We're going to talk with Chuck Lewis from Sheraton Park Farms in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome, Chuck. Hey, Troy. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Are you guys uh, getting as much rain as we're getting right now? We're well, having... I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for some pigs that have got yields. Um, and also we're, we're thinking about adding shrimp to our, uh, to our enterprise here. So, uh, yeah, we've had, we've had a ton of rain, man. It's just been, everything's just been soggy. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling Kelly the other day, we should have planted rice this year. That should have been our, our crop. Yeah. To <laughs> yep. 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 All right. Well, so tell us, uh, give us the, uh, give us the v- verbal virtual tour of Sheridan Park Farms down there. Sure. So we're in, uh, we're in southern Guilford County, and Guilford County is the home to Greensboro. And Greensboro, I think, is about the third or the fourth most populous city um, in the state. And whenever you tell people that you've got a farm in Greensboro, they look at you kind of squirrely-eyed. Um, <laughs> but we're in—we're actually in the southern part of the county in a in a small community called Pleasant Garden. But we do have a Greensboro address. But uh, so we're a multi-species farm. We raise chickens for eggs, chickens for meat. We've got turkeys. We've got sheep. Um, but our um, our cornerstone operation is our is our pasture pig operation. All right, all right. We've been uh, we've been doing pigs. This is actually our third full year uh, of farming. Um, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, my wife and I were living up in the the foothills of Blue Ridge in, in Wilkes County, and I took a job in Raleigh. And so we wanted to be still kind of close to family, but still kind of close to work for me. So Greensboro ended up being kind of the middle of the ground. And we got into farming. It was it was purely by happenstance. Um, my wife had worked in a butcher shop uh, just on on Friday to cut. She wanted to learn the craft, and uh, she was doing. It was really kind of a, an apprentice sort of deal. And she came home one day and she said, "Hey, I think there's something to this local food movement, local clean food, know where your food kind of thing comes from." Um, what do you think? So I started looking and doing a little bit of research on that whole concept. And uh, next thing you know, we're buying a 20-acre farm in Greensboro uh, with uh, very minimal experience. Um, growing up, our, our parents and grandparents had all you know kind of raised gardens, but nobody really ever had any livestock. My, my family done some tobacco farming, um, but had zero experience. So you know, we kind of started watching all the YouTube videos we could watch and, and books we could read. And uh, we just, we sort of dove in head first. Uh, good Lord looks out for drunkards and fools. So uh, <laughs> here we are two years later. Um, you know, we're six, we're, I think we're at about 60 some pigs processed now. We've got 30 here on the farm. Uh, we've upped our, um, uh, our broiler production. We're doing, you know, 120 birds per month. Uh, we've got a bunch of bunch of egg laying chickens and sheep, and so we we you know just kind of took to this thing sort of like fish to water, and uh, are having a great time with it, and and just excited about what's going on and and what's you know what's looking what's looking like a pretty positive future for us right now. Oh no doubt, that's that's great. So are you still making that drive to Raleigh on the weekdays? So I well 
Well, I was every day. It's about an hour and 15 minutes uh, drive to work. Um, and I was up until the whole coronavirus deal. Oh, yeah. And since then, we've really transitioned, you know, the majority of my work to <clears throat> virtual home base. Um, and it's, it's really kind of been interesting at what we've discovered that you can do without physically being in a location. Uh, that's a discussion, I'm sure, for a different time. But, um, yeah, still wor- working from home, which, uh, you know, gives me a lot of time back during the day that I would normally be on the road. So uh, that's been a, been a little bit of a blessing there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, man, that sounds like you guys really hit the ground running there with your, your operation. So why why the lineup and why especially pigs? Why did you go that direction? What what led you to pigs first? Well, yeah, that's that's a great question. It's a really it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny story. We started out. We were going to do you know I'd read Joel Salson's pasture poultry profits and you know we were going to do chicken. That was going to be our cornerstone. That was going to be the link. You know that was going to be the anchor to our business and and and, and the farm. And I was driving back and forth to work one day listening to podcasts, and I was listening to a podcast. I think it's uh, I think the name of it is Grass Fed Life, uh, Darby Simpson and uh, Diego Footer. Yeah. And they were doing a, a podcast that day on um, pigs and pasture pigs. And Darby made the point that pigs were pound for pound more profitable with a bit less daily labor. Um, and talking about just some of the benefits of, of, of pigs. So I came home that afternoon and made the declaration to my wife, we are getting pigs. Um, so, um, and this was, this was very early on. We didn't, we hadn't, didn't even have our first batch of chickens yet. So in that very first week, it was the week of Valentine's day, 2018. Uh, we got our first batch of pasture or pasture chickens. And I made a deal on six piglets. So we went up, to this small community area about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes away from here um, to a farm. Uh, I kind of struck a deal on six piglets on Craigslist and uh, went up to pick these up. We pulled up to the farm and there wasn't anybody around. So we blew the horn and there was an old barn standing there in front of us. Well, this guy came out and I said, hey, I'm here to pick up some pigs. He said, yeah, you're here to see daddy. Well, over the course of the next five minutes, there were about 10 or 15 guys came easing out of this barn, and I started getting a little bit of an uneasy feeling. I <laughs> uh, don't know what was going on. But anyway, they were, they were, you know, they were all um, partaking of the libation, if you know what I mean, yeah. having a good time. Yeah. And uh, so then the, the, the old fella comes out, and uh, he takes me down to the shed, and he's got, um, he's got these piglets on an, on an 8-foot by 10-foot landscape trailer with some sides on it. And now I had never owned, taken care of, mess with the first pig and so um he looks at me and he says now boy i'm gonna pull these pigs out of this trailer one at a time and i'm gonna hand it to you and if you drop it and it hits the ground i'll get it back it may take me a couple weeks but when i lift it off this trailer it's yours <laughs> so he, he, picked that first, he picked that first pig with that troy and you know those things you pick them up by their hind legs they shake like a bag on washing machine out of mouth right squealing and i was it scared the tar out of me I didn't know. I thought, God, what have I got myself into here? So we ended up getting those pigs over on the truck without incident and uh, paid the old gentleman. He gave me some corners, some tips, and, and was a very friendly fellow. And just, it ended up being a real good experience. Um, so we came home, uh, and I had ordered some of the uh, sheep and goat netting from Premier One. 
and set that up out in the pasture, and we pulled the truck out there, and uh, we were going to start setting these pigs off into the into the netting that we had set up. And uh, <clears throat> luckily, we, we pulled one off, and uh, he made he got down on the ground, started kind of sniffing around, and he touched his nose to the electric. Now I had read that when a pig touches their nose to electric, they're going to if they're not trained on, they're going to lunge forward. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Yeah, <laughs> that pig went through the fence, and you've never seen a sight till you've seen two middle-aged, overweight adults chasing a pig across a soybean field. <laughs> so my wife somehow had had the fortitude and the <clears throat> and the knowledge to unplug that bag on fence. Well, as luck would have it, it got back into the fenced area. Oh, no and wow. we 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 went to catch it, and it got caught up in the fence. And my wife done a WWE <laughs> suplex move on this thing, body slammed it. <laughs> so she's laying on this pig, and it's squealing, and my dog is over there sniffing on it, barking at it, and I'm just all in a frazzle. So somehow we get that pig back up and put it back on the truck and do what any two reasonable human beings would do. We went to the house and had a beer. <laughs> so... <laughs> That that was on a Saturday. That was on a Saturday evening. So like a bunch of, like a bunch of rednecks, those pigs spent the night on the back of the truck. And about four a.m., my wife and I were both up. She was mad and snot at me, saying, "What are we going to do about these pigs?" And then I emailed you yeah. and said, "Hey, this is kind of the situation that I've got. This is what's going on." You said you need a hard structure outside of that netting so that they can, if they when they hit it, they lunge forward. They learn they can't go forward. So put the truck up to the trailer so me and the wife and six pigs went to tractor supply and got uh, some some pig panels and some uh, some T-posts, came back, set that up. Uh, set the, the, we set up a little training pin there, ran the netting inside. We set those piglets over in there, turned it on. We drug up a chair and laughed with reckless abandon as those pigs would get shocked and bounce off of that. That was cruel on our part. Right. But it was it was good to see it was good to see them having a learning experience. Yes, indeed. So that's that that was our that was that was our first twenty four hours with pigs. Um, a lot's changed. A whole lot's changed. We've learned a ton of lessons. I think we're doing doing things a little better now. A little less, somewhat less stressful on most days. Right. Um, but that's how we, that was that was how we got started with pigs. And and once we got that first six. Um, couple months into it you know we were doing a farmer's market chicken wasn't selling we were selling a little bit of honey we were selling a little bit of eggs and and one day Saunders said well you've got a pig out there I think he's about ready and uh, we called him big boy and so we loaded him up and took him to the processor we thought he was huge he weighed 275 pounds hmm. nowadays we'd look at him and say oh that, he's got a ways to go yeah but uh took him to the processor uh you know got some processed stuff back and uh, we've not looked back. We we took that to the market. Folks were were really excited about the, about the pasture pork, the product that we had, and the most satisfying thing for me is every week somebody comes back to us. Even two years, even two years later, we still have people come back to us every week saying that was the best pork chop, bacon, sausage, roast, shank, jowl, whatever. That was the best that I've ever had. And to us, that is the payoff to know that. Every single week, we help feed families a very high-quality product, and they come back and they express our, their gratitude. That is the payoff for us. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely justifies all the work. And you think about that baptism by fire and your first experience there and looking back and uh, 
and you think, well, okay, this, you know, all that, all that grief, all that headache is, is finally starting to pay off and you can get some satisfaction from that. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've started a little bit of a YouTube channel and are doing some big videos and, you know, we're starting to have folks that are reaching out to us saying, Hey, tell me a little bit more about how you did this thing, that thing, or the other. So that's another huge payoff for us now that, you know, we're start we're not experts, don't claim to be experts, we're not even close to, to even some days I don't think we're even close to know what the heck we're doing anyway. Uh, but to be able to share some of our experience, some of the things that have worked for us and hopefully help people jump start their operation and get a little bit farther ahead. You know, same kind of thing what you done for me whenever you said, Hey, you need to set up a you need to set up a training pen. Um, that's another huge payoff, just to be able to help folks. Um, move along a little quicker in their journey uh, and be successful in this operation. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, man. And that's, I think that's the, the part that attracts me the most to all of this is, is the community element, the fact that technology allows us to, to communicate with one another and we stand on each other's shoulders as we learn uh, how to do different things. And, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's great to see, you know, what, what was it, a, um, two years ago, three years ago, you sent me that email and uh, and now you're you're raising more hogs than I am, and uh, so I love it. Yeah, I love to I love to see the see the growth there and see people just you just really take off and run. So it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and like you say, the community is great. I mean, we've made just a ton of friends um, that uh, that are also raising pigs. Some that are not that are doing some other types of things, and uh, you know that's another huge payoff. And this this whole farming local food community as a whole. Um, you know, you kind of look around, you see some of the some of the stuff that's going on in the world nowadays, and not to really be, make a commentary on that, but it's nice to see a group of folks come together around a very positive cause in terms of raising quality food for families and communities, and that's you know that's just a, a real heartwarming thing in some of the times we're seeing today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your setup. So you, you'd mentioned, uh, I believe you'd mentioned, uh, or I was getting it from my notes, but you're 20 acres there and uh, just outside of Greensboro. Mm-hmm. So uh, with your polyculture, so how how are you setting up your pigs? How do they integrate, or do you keep them separate from your other animals? How how does the farm layout go? Yeah, so we've got uh, we've got 20 acres. We run our pigs primarily around the edges. Um, we've got uh, a couple of, of pretty nice fields in the middle of the farm, and then we've got some riparian areas and some forested areas along the edges. And so we run the pigs through through those areas. Occasionally, we will pull them out into the into a pasture area <clears throat> to stir up. Uh, for example, first group of pigs that we had. Well, first I guess it was the first three groups of pigs that we had. Um, our the, the pasture of the field that's closest to the house for twenty some years had only been raised winter wheat, tobacco, soy, corn, all that commodity kind of stuff. Um, got, close, got here in, in the area, rents a lot of different plots of land and does that stuff. So, excuse me, we were we ran those pigs across that. And, and first year, that area was, I mean, it was hard-paying nothingness. And putting those pigs out there and letting them stir that up and stir that seed bank up, mm-hmm. um, now we've got, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful pasture. I mean, it's, uh, you know, orchard grass, fescue, we got some clover. I mean, just all the good stuff's growing out there. We're also using those pigs, again, along the along the edges and some of the wooded areas to, to take down some of the brush in the understory. So once those pigs go through, we'll come in. What they've left, we'll take a weed eater chainsaw, clean out some of the small stuff. So we're trying to turn that into more of a silo pasture kind of, kind of area. Yeah. So those pigs, are, they're doing a lot of land clearing for us. They're stirring up that seed bank. 
um, and they're, they're, you know, they're picking up some mast and some of the things off the ground, so it really helps supplement with the feed stuff. Um, but pigs are primarily in, in their own spot. We keep them generally on about three-quarters, half to three-quarters of an acre. Uh, they'll sit in one spot for, we kind of follow the thousand method there. Once they go through about 1,500 to 2,000 pounds of feed, then it's time to move to the next spot. So depending on where they are, they may be there for three weeks. They may be there for six weeks. It just kind of depends on on the spot that they're in. Um, once they go through, if they're on the if they're on the pasture proper, uh, then we'll bring typically we'll bring uh, either the chickens or the sheep in behind them, and then we'll follow in with you know another animal. So everything around here, same kind of model as, as like the south and stuff. Um, everything continues to move. Nothing stays in one spot for very long. One thing follows another. It may be pigs, then sheep, then chickens, uh, just kind of depending on what that particular piece of ground or that particular paddock needs at the time. Yeah. Uh, we make a determination of what needs to go there. Yeah, excellent. All right. Very good, very good. So um, <clears throat> with that pasture layout then, are you um, – are you? Uh, do you have those permanent paddocks set up? Are you are you doing all mobile fencing and netting, or you or you have some hard structure there? Yeah, so great question. Now, and we're really kind of in a transition place now. Up until uh, up until this past winter, we had been using the Premier One uh, sheep and goat net. Um, that great product. We've had super success, a lot of luck with with that. The problem that we found is, and, and anybody that's messed with it knows exactly what I'm talking about. You get into a wooded area, you get into an area that's got some little snags, a little bit of brush, that kind of stuff. That stuff is irritating as the devil yeah. to put out and then to put up. So we transitioned over to just a two-strand poly wire. That gives us a ton of flexibility in terms of where we can run the paddocks, uh, size of the paddocks. We're not, uh, we're not locked into those 164-foot sections of that netting. We can we can make the paddock as big or small as we want to. We don't have to worry about how much netting we've got. Yeah. So... Up until now, we've just kind of been moving things ad hoc. We need it here, we need it there, we need it in this other spot, so we just moved around. With this group of, of um, cedars that I've got going right now, we had them in one area, and we picked up a little tip of, of utilizing some gates in the paddock, some physical barriers as opposed to just the psychological barrier of the electric netting. Mm-hmm. What I've discovered there is I think that's going to give me a lot of options to set up some some semi-permanent uh, infrastructure in terms of having some posts, some T-posts and some gates at strategic locations so that all we've got to do is go back and pull that wire to set the paddock up. Then we just swing the gate open and then in come the pigs. Yeah. So we're transitioning over to more of a semi-permanent kind of setup so that we can go over the course of 12 or 18 months, whatever the case may be, we can go paddock A, paddock B, paddock C, Rotate stuff through. Never have anything on the same paddock more than twice a year max. Maybe preferably once per year. Uh, but that's going to give us a little. I think that's going to give us a little bit more flexibility. We have some um, layout plans that we've got to we've got to put together. We got to get out. We got to kind of figure out where those paddocks are going to be. And we're determining that right now as we're moving those pigs along. So we're transitioning a little bit up until now. Again, it's just been ad hoc, but we're trying to figure out how to get more of a uh, rot- a specific rotation going. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of it is just just kind of reading the land, seeing how the pigs do. Yeah, you know, there's obviously a lot of variables, so you need to have uh, 
have uh, multiple case studies going on there, so you can see uh, what worked well one time and the other. I, I find myself at times it gets a little frustrating. At times, you end up taking something down you put up a year or two ago. It's like, well, I, I thought that was going to yeah. work. Okay, it's time to reboot on that and and try to go to a different direction. So, well, yeah, and, and and that's a great point. Uh, you know, one one thing that this farm did not have when we came here and still does not have, and that is a is a permanent perimeter fence, and we kind of decided among ourselves, and we're getting close to putting that in, we kind of decided ourselves we need to live with the land for a couple of years and let and let the farm tell us where things should be and how the flow should go. Yeah. Instead of, you know, just going in and putting well, I think the I think the perimeter fence needs to go here, there, and the other place. Uh, give the farm some time, be on the land for a little bit of for a little bit of time and figure out really what that needs to look like long term instead of just kind of shooting from the hip and trying to decide out yet yeah 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 i agree 100 percent. you yeah i mean every farm it's it's if anything i've learned from doing this podcast is that every single person i talk to has a a different experience raising the same animal it's just uh it's just really yeah. neat to see how unique each setup and structure is <clears throat> yeah and there's and there's no you know there's no real right way to do stuff i i have discovered a a a, a couple of handfuls of the way not to do stuff but uh you know there's no there's no real right way to right or wrong way to do stuff yeah yeah absolutely well let's talk about uh, your pigs a little bit there so uh what breeds are you going with or breed and and are you fair to finish or are you just buying feeders right now give us a little detail there <clears throat> yeah so that's been an evolution as well uh we started out just buying piglets um you know i talked about the gentleman that about the first set off of and then after that I found a young lady uh, that was about an hour and 15 minutes west of here <clears throat> that uh, phenomenal girl. She uh, she decided she needed to make a little extra money, so her mom and dad said, well, you need to figure out how to do that. So she bought a boar in 2000 and started breeding and selling piglets. And so we were buying piglets off of her, uh, and they were a, a kind of a Duke mixture. There was some Tamworth, there was some Duroc, there was a little bit of, of Yorkshire in there. Uh, we're not sure what, I think there might have been a little bit of uh, uh, maybe a little Hampshire. I'm not sure what all was in them. Produced a beautiful pasture pig. I mean, these things, we were growing them out to about three and a half, three seventy five. The fat was just right. The flavor was, was spot on. The marbling was great. The color was good. I mean, it was a, it was a great pig. Well, like all good things, it must come to an end. So she is graduating from high school um, just a couple of weeks ago, getting ready to go to college. So she sold off her uh, breeding stock. So in the course of just doing some research and kind of thinking about where we wanted to go, um, I ended up buying a couple of uh, commercial Berkshires uh, and doing some AI. We're going to do some AI on them. Uh, I did keep two of the gilts out from the last set of piglets that we had bought from the young lady. Uh, and we done AI on them uh, back in December. Uh, Pharaoh, uh, about six weeks ago, um, had super luck. We were, we uh, another thing I'd reached out to you and said, "Hey, where are you getting your your genetics from?" You should said Shipley Swine. Mm -hmm. Reached out to those folks. Super helpful, great customer service. Can't say enough about them. So back in December, we done AI on two of those Duke's mixture uh, piglets uh, that we had bought from the young lady. I done one with a purebred Duroc, the other one with a purebred Berkshire. Ended up with uh, 22 piglets, had two stillborn, 
had another one that was a little bit of a failure to thrive. So we ended up giving that to a to a friend of ours to bottle feed and care for, and I think it's probably going to end up being a pet more more or less. <laughs> right. So we've got 19 piglets now. Uh, we've done AI on one of my commercial Berkshires um, last week. Uh, so we're going to see how that works out. Um, but we're kind of to the point now, and, you know, this whole uh, coronavirus thing has really kind of opened our eyes. And we can talk a little bit about piglets and, and uh, demand and, and what's hitting the market, that kind of stuff in a minute if you'd like to. Mm-hmm. But we kind of determined we needed to be able to, to produce our own supply. Uh, we can't depend on others to, you know, to find the quality that we want, to find the number that we want. So we decided to to kind of delve into the Faro to finish um, uh, deal. Yeah, yeah. So far, we farrowed we farrowed once. Uh, again, we had we've, we've got 19 of those piglets. They're doing great, fantastic. They they look super. I had real good luck there. Got another one that we hope is uh, settled. We got a couple weeks before we could figure it out if she's settled or not. Uh, so that's that's where we're at right now. Uh, on the back side, we are pretty much, we're 90, probably 93, 95% direct retail. We do have a contract with a couple of very, very small local grocers uh, in the area that pick up a little bit of our product from time to time. But for, for the most part, we're, we're direct retail. Uh, we sell from the farm. Uh, I've sold ribs off the back porch at 1030 on a Friday night for guys doing a picnic the next day. Um, and then we've got a couple of farmer's markets that we do that is really the, uh, that's the, uh, you know the linchpin in making this thing work is our markets right now. Hmm. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, well, let's stick a pin in that because I want to talk about that a little bit more as as we get into that. So, um, back up real quick. So, your your Shipley Genetics. What are you, are you are you adding Berkshire from them? Are you adding something else to Cross? Yep. So we're adding Duroc. Okay. Um, you know, just that that just feels to me like we like the we like the Berkshire quality of pork. Uh, we like the size. Um, and the fat content and all the, you know, all the good things that come with the Duroc. And what we're really trying to capture is that first-generation cross, that hybrid vigor mm-hmm. um, out, of that, out of that first set of piglets. Um, so that, that's what we've elected to go with. You know, this was our first round on the, on the Berkshire Duroc cross, so still a little bit to be determined on that. Uh, we'll see how those end up flushing out. Uh, but that's what we've elected to go with is, is that specific cross. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's talk about uh, pig availability. And again, I, I like your idea of, uh, of being more self-reliant, self-contained when it comes to uh, your, your pig stock. You know, the, the issues that are always out there of availability, um, what you're getting, where it's coming from. And then, of course, uh, you know, even biosecurity associated with that. So. Uh, what are you seeing down in North Carolina as far as the market goes? Is your market getting flooded with uh, with growers that uh, that you're seeing come up? Yeah, man. I will tell you what. So on just on the you know the farmstead, homestead, pastured pig, piglet can't find them. I mean they're just they're just not available. And whenever they do hit the market, they're gone. You know, just in an instant. Yeah. But what? But we are seeing a lot of. I don't know if, if you know, but down in the eastern part of North Carolina, huge, huge pig operations down there. Mm. A couple Smithfield plants yeah. uh, down in Tar Heel, North Carolina, and there's a lot of a lot of big growers down there. And you know, with this whole um, with coronavirus getting into the process of plants, we're seeing a lot of, of uh, commodity growers that are offloading their pigs. And man, I don't, I don't blame them. I understand why they're doing it. You know, it, they can't keep feeding those pigs, and then continue to get bigger and bigger, 
because when and if these processing plants come back online, the industrialized food system has set such tight tolerances on sizes, they're not going to be able to process those figs or do anything with them. And so I understand why those guys are offloading them. Um, Makes perfect sense. We're seeing a lot of guys that are kind of like me, small family farms that are buying bulk pigs, um, either for sale back to folks that are looking to to raise a pig or put some put some meat in their in their freezer really really quick to sell those and I and I get that because you know guys like us we're operating on you know a fairly thin line uh, so you're trying to make a little cash to keep the keep the wheels rolling so I get that the thing that concerns me and and I don't mean to just editorialize this whole thing to death but the thing that concerns me is if you're if you're a if you're a farmer your your reputation is not worth your long term reputation is not worth that short term gain. And what we're seeing is on social media and different forums and just I've had conversations with folks out in, out in the public. They're buying these commodity pigs and they're getting them home and that pig is just not prepared to, to be in a system outside of that confinement system. Right. They've got digestive problems, they've got respiratory problems, they've got skin problems, they've got fill in the blank on what kind of problems they're having. And so the customer whether it's the guy that's buying the pig to raise on his property and then slaughter later, um, or the customer at the end, if you're buying those pigs, you're going to try to raise them up. God bless you if you do, and if you can, uh, the customer that's going to buy that product in the package at the end, they need to have a good experience. Um, and if that customer is not going to have a good experience on that pastured pig, what's being marketed as a pastured pig or what's being marketed as a homestead pig, if they don't have a good experience, that's detrimental not only to the individual their reputation, but it's detrimental to all of us that are that are working in this space and trying to raise a high quality product. So, you know, it's concerning to me. Here on our farm, we've decided we're just we're gonna to continue to do things the way we've always done them, nice and slow. Everything that we're gonna sell them is raised here on our farm, raised right in you know, in pasture with all the stuff that goes with all the good stuff that goes along with raising them that way. Yeah, no, no. I think that's I think that's well said, and and, and we're going to have to wait and see how this all plays out because we're seeing the same thing in our area. In fact, it's it's uh, you know, flooding from the Midwest into West Virginia, where there's a lot of these uh, commodity pigs. And as you mentioned on social media, my goodness, it's like you you flip through any of the forums and you just see question after question. Hey, got this pig for twenty five dollars? It's not it's not doing this or it's doing this. It's acting weird. It's yeah. got this discharge. It's it's limping. It's it's coughing. It's wheezing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's like wow. Okay, yeah. You, you know, the biosecurity just went out the window there, and yep. and, and it is this yeah. element of of yeah. You, know, you, you kind of think okay, did you just jump into something you weren't aware of, uh, or did you? Yeah, like you say, it comes down to reputation. Are you trying to turn a quick buck? So, uh, it it is interesting, and I think we'll all have to sit back and you know, and maybe uh, maybe this time next year, as we're doing more interviews, we're we're talking to people about okay, how did how did twenty twenty play out in your area when it comes to uh, to pigs? Uh, it it will be interesting. I don't think. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, I think it's going to be re- it's going to be real interesting to see what happens and how long this how long this goes on. Um, and even for even for the small time guy <clears throat> like us, that's uh, you know using local processors, uh, that's becoming a challenge now yeah. because you know everybody's trying to get their animals in, or trying to get their animals done. I can't get a pig uh, appointment until you know way up in into the end of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so 
to come, you know, and, and to make that even worse on the front side, man, I've got demand. I've got people that are wanting pork chops. They're wanting ribs. They're wanting roast. They're wanting bacon. They're wanting all the stuff that we normally have. And we went into this early season. <clears throat> you know, we were planning on our, our markets typically open in April, end of April. So we were planning on going into April, nine pigs. We had them in the freezer. We were going to be ready to go. We were going to have plenty of pork. That was going to get us through to July. Then we could get them, you know, by then we were going to have some more pigs ready to go. I'm out of nine pigs. I mean, I've got some sausages, some brats, kielbasa, a few roasts, you know, some of that kind of stuff left. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of down to the bottom of the stuff and can't get another pig in for months. Don't really have anything ready just right now. So, I mean, this is, it's, it's a challenge in time to figure out how to, how to navigate all this stuff so that you're, you know, you're staying profitable on your farm, your customers are getting what they need, uh, and, and you're keeping the farm business going. So it's, it's, it's an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and we're experiencing the same thing here that, uh, um, we have my local processor who's, we've had a great relationship for years. He said, Hey man, um, I can, I'll, I'll make accommodations to get your hogs in, but I'm not going to do any post stuff. I'm not going to do any smoking, not going to do anything like that. And it's like, well, I really can't. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that don't want, uh, you know, smoke cured bacon. So it's, uh, it's kind of tough to run yeah. hogs through with without getting bacon. So, yeah, it is it is an interesting yeah. time, and it's. Um, I hope it. I hope this wakes up enough of the people at at, at the government level to to maybe look at some of these regulations, some of these restrictions, and and you know, we know we got the Prime Act out there. It's. I don't know that it's a, a fix all. You know, it's going to fix everything, um, but it, at least people are looking at it. It's now starting to get the attention that I think it deserves. Yeah, and I think I think Congressman Massey out of uh, I think he's out of Kentucky with the Prime Act. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you'd done a show on that a couple of weeks ago. I think that you know would really provide some relief, um, at least get us started. Uh, you know, all the regulation and and you know for a small time processor to open up, they've got to meet the same stuff as you know a, a, a plant that's doing you know thousands of hogs per day. That just stifles the market. I mean, it just it really puts a really puts a hamstring on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. It really, really chokes it down. Well, let's talk about your market a little bit. So, you talked about your farmers market being the linchpin of your process. So, what led you to that? And kind of, kind of give me the story, the genesis of of getting into those markets. So that just you know from the outset that seemed like um, that seemed to us like the way to go. Where we live, we're within an hour and a half of about, excuse me, we're within an hour of about 3 million people. Um, so, you know, we, we feel like the market is there. Um, so we just started looking around for <clears throat> farmers markets that uh, were reasonably close in a, in a you know, area that had uh, some folks that had some disposable income to buy quality product. Uh, and we found a couple of markets. Um, so we go to uh, one market that's about 20 minutes from here, downtown High Point. Uh, that is that is our uh, that's our market. That's 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 where we do the do the lion's share of our business. Uh, this is our third year, um, and, and farmers markets is that's one of those things. You know, this kind of farming is very relational. You, I mean, it's a relationship sale. So over the course of three years. And it's taken, I mean, it's taken us three years to get here. Um, we've had to build those relationships with our customers. And a lot of our customers have now become close friends. And they come back week after week after week 
to, to purchase from us. During the wintertime, uh, and we also do another market that's a little farther to the west in a very affluent area. We picked it up late last year, done really well, have been in it since the start this year, and that has really given us a big boost uh, up until we ran out of stuff to sell uh, or started get, getting low on stuff to sell. So um, we, do two, we do two farmer's markets, and that's, that's our primary business right now. Beginning in March of this year, March usually we'll sell a couple hundred bucks worth of stuff. We do an online delivery uh, deal in the wintertime. Go onto the website, place your order, go ahead and pay, meet us at a predetermined location on Saturday morning at 9.30, pick up your bag, and off you go. So historically, we've done a couple hundred bucks worth of business uh, in the month of March. Well, this year, as you know, things kind of went, went sideways, and so our online business uh, went crazy. Yeah. Uh, so we started doing we started doing some delivery. Uh, we were doing the delivery within 20 minutes of the farm, uh, free of charge. If you order $75 or more, if you were under 75 bucks, it was a $10 delivery charge just to cover our costs. Um, so we were doing in the evening after I would get home from work. We were doing in the evening delivery business what we typically would do on a really really good Saturday at the market. Yeah. Um, so March ended up being a bang-up month for us. Um, we done in March of this year typically what we would do uh, in, you know, a, a good market month uh, during the season, during the market season. April was even better. May has ended up being even better. Uh, so the marketing piece, that's, uh, that's the market piece. That's kind of what we've done. In terms of marketing, um, we do have a Facebook page. Um, we've done, we've done a lot of advertising on that, uh, this year, uh, through the whole coronavirus thing, lots of boosted posts and ads. Um, we have a website, um, that we, we try to direct people over to. We've got a lot of information on there about who we are, how to order, what products we've got. That website needs a little bit of updating. I didn't need to spend some time on that. Uh, we've got an Instagram page, um, which is primarily just pictures. You know, just kind of engage some folks, yeah. and then we're doing the YouTube, <clears throat> doing, doing the YouTube uh, channel now, and that actually has proven to be uh, a, a pretty daggone good marketing tool for us because um, it starts a conversation. Yes, a lot of people that uh, you know, we got a market, an email list, so we email out you know every couple of weeks. You know, hey, we're going to be at the market. This is what's on the truck this week. Oh, by the way, we got a new video up. Take a look. This is what's going on at the farm. So. Folks come out to the market to see us on Friday night or Saturday, and that video starts a conversation. Well, I saw your video about your new livestock guardian dog. She's so cute. Tell me about that. It, you know, it, it's it's something to help get the engagement going. Um, and so that's sort of our marketing channels and how we're how we're getting our product out there right now. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. I mean, that's that's the reason why we started our channel so many years ago. It was just I wanted people to understand because there wasn't a lot of of knowledge in our area our customer base about pastured pork you know there wasn't wasn't hardly anybody doing it when we started and um, so i really wanted to use that as an education tool they said well okay why is why is your your pork so much more expensive than what i can get at walmart well it's pastured and if you want to really see some examples or explanation of why and how we do it then just go to the channel and you can watch it and and yeah it really became a good marketing tool to educate people on the uh, on the concept and and obviously why it was value added with those expenses. So, I agree. I, I think it's it's good to have all these uh, diverse uh, digital representations that can can be used to to the benefit of selling product. 
Yeah, and you know the only <clears throat> the only real thing negative to that is it. You know, it, it is a little bit labor intensive to keep everything up, fresh, going, new content, and yes. that kind of stuff. Yes, um, yes. You just got to make time to do it. Um, but it does become a challenge to keep all that, keep all those balls in the air at the same time. It does. It, it really does. And it's, yeah, like you say, it, it is an investment of time. And, and it's also, you know, one of those things, which is, you know, could be a whole nother, whole nother podcast discussion of, you know, when is it time to, to pull the plug on something? You got to look and see if something's not working. You know, don't, don't keep mm-hmm. running your head against the wall just because it's your baby and you hate to, you hate to put it out. But, uh, that's yeah. that's where you got to look and do some of those assessments. Like you, like you said, you may you may find that a market, a, a farmer's market, isn't producing nearly as much as online is now. So maybe you pull back in that area. Yeah, and uh, so to that point, uh, we actually had a third market that we were doing uh, in downtown Winston Salem, <clears throat> and it was just you know started out really really strong, uh, but just over time it is it is just kind of taking a nosedive. Partially, I think because of because of the coronavirus and there's just nobody in that in that area downtown yeah so we've kind of fallen off to you know it, it's just not working so that's something we're dropping that's one of the things that we're going to we're going to take out of our out, uh, our to-do list uh, which you know that's going to free up half a day for my wife because that's a, the market she runs she goes and does it <clears throat> so that frees up half a day for her on tuesdays and uh, we can get a lot more bang for the buck to her being here as opposed to going over there and sitting for you know, three or four sales, it's just not worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta you gotta adapt. You gotta adjust. Gotta be nimble in those mm-hmm. situations. Well, um Chuck, what about what about uh, goals? I mean obviously it sounds like uh, you know, growth is on the horizon there, but uh, what are your what what are your short term goals in the next mm-hmm. couple of years, all the way up to the next five years? Yeah, so um we would like to uh, do an on farm store. Um, this year we've had a ton of, of drive-up business, uh, a lot of folks that have come out to pick up, um, and those look like a certain percentage of them are going to be retained customers. You know, there are folks that are going to buy from you, especially during this corona thing. I think they're going to buy from you out of fear. They're looking for an alternative. Are they going to stick with you to be seen? Uh, but I think we are going to have some retained, uh, some retained customers there. So we do want to do an on-farm store. Um, where we can offer our products, some other products, uh, and you know, get some folks out here to the farm um, and uh, and buy here. Um, we want to increase our our um, farrow to finish uh, process. Uh, our goal is to have um, to get to the point to where we continuously and consistently have pigs that are ready to go to process. In the past, it's been a hit. It's been batches on a hit and miss timeline. We'd have six ready to go now, then we're not going to have any more ready until December, then we won't have any more ready until March, and that's just kind of been a, a, a very schizophrenic type of thing in terms of, of production timelines. So we want to tighten that down so that we've got a couple, three, maybe four pigs ready to go per month, uh, and we can march those out. Now that we're doing AI, we can sit down with the calendar, we can back into that figure out when we need to be doing uh, artificial insemination so that we can farrow on this date so that we got pigs ready to go in this month. So that's one goal that we're working on right now. And then back to what we talked about very early on, <clears throat> setting up some semi-permanent types of infrastructure so that we can march those pigs along. Yeah. Uh, so I think if we can get, you know, those three things going, that's really where we're, that's what we're looking at right now. Uh, you know, we've had, 
a lot of success in, in the first two years. We're excited about where the next two years to three years is going to go. Um, I think we've got to continue to adapt to the markets, figure out, you know, uh, what folks want, what folks need, and, and be, at, be in the front of the line whenever that time comes up with, with our stuff ready for folks to take advantage of it. Yeah, excellent. All right. Sounds like good plans there. Well, um, one thing I always ask at the close of each interview is is this uh, this overall arching question is, uh, what is your best experience or favorite, favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? You know, I think my favorite my favorite part of raising pigs on pasture is, is the interaction with the animals. I mean, there is just nothing like going out in the morning and stepping over into that paddock uh, and those pigs coming up to greet you and they want to scratch, they want to belly rub, they want to check you out, they want to see what you got. Um, pigs are such social animals. We've had just, a, just so much fun um, being with them, interacting with them, having them here on the farm, uh, and just uh, they really become they're a part of the family. They end up serving their highest and, and, and most useful purpose in the end. But uh, we say our animals have one bad day, uh, but up until then, all the other days, we try to make them as good for the pigs and as good for us as we can. So just that interaction with them and, and, and being out in the field with the pigs, that's, that's the best part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right, Chuck. Well, if people want to learn more about your farm, where can they find you online? Yeah, so we're we're a little bit everywhere. Uh, we're we have a website. It's uh, www.sheratonparkfarms.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, uh, Facebook backslash Sheraton Park Farms. Uh, we have an Instagram page, and we also have a YouTube page, uh, Sheraton Park Farms over there. So. Uh, uh, reach out to us. You know, we'd love to. We'd love to talk more to folks about who we are, what we're doing, and uh, you know, kind of show them what we got to offer. All right, sounds great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast, and I hope you uh, hope you have a good rest of the week out in the pasture. Troy, I appreciate. It. Thanks a bunch. All right, man. It's good talking to you. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, or to submit topics, or recommend guests for future episodes visit redtoolhouse.com.